Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? I'm so excited because we're going to be talking about two of my favorite things, God and wine. Now, y'all know how I love me some Chardonnay. And you also know that I try to set some boundaries around drinking wine to keep it in check. And that for a while now, I've been trying to stick to my wow goal, you know, W-O-W, wine on weekends. The problem is that I've found is that sometimes I want to enjoy a glass of wine with a nice dinner, and that might be on a Tuesday. You know, if we're having salmon or steak or something like that, I really want a glass of wine because I think it will complement the meal so beautifully. But then I would be quote unquote failing, you know, at my wow goal. Plus, if I open that door on a Tuesday, it's a slippery slope to drinking on any weeknight, you know, especially the nights that involve math homework with my kids. So you can see I kind of overthink this wine situation (laughs) and I've been doing that for a while now and I, I, you know, end up with a lot of condemnation and judgment on myself. In general, I just spend too much brain energy on this, I think, sometimes. And you know, that's what I'm all about not doing and what I strive to teach you not to do either, whether it's with food or wine. But I recently read a book called The Soul of Wine, and it gave me a whole new way to consider and approach drinking wine. Reading it was such a peaceful and refreshing experience because the author grounds you in the spirituality of wine and the way that it connects us to God and to the earth and to all of his provision. It reminds us that God blesses us with the fruits of the earth like wine. It reminds us that Jesus enjoyed wine and food and dinner parties so much that his fellow Jews accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard. It reminds us that drinking wine is part of the way that we honor and celebrate Jesus as our Savior. This book is just so much about what I love and savor about honoring our bodies and the creator of our bodies. And so I stalked the author on Instagram and asked her if she would please come on the podcast and share this beautiful weaving of wine and scripture and spirituality the way that she does in her book. And because God is so awesome and continues to connect me with wonderful, interesting humans, the author is here today. Isela Kreglinger, Kreglinger, excuse me, grew up on a family-owned winery in Franconia, Germany where her family has been crafting wine for many generations. And she holds a PhD in historical theology from the University of St. Andrews and taught Christian spirituality at Samford University. So this is her jam. She is the expert on God and wine, and she is here today. I'm so very excited to have you. Welcome Isela Krieglinger to the Christian Health Club podcast. Thank you so much. It's a delight to be with you and to find fellow pilgrims who believe and receive wine as a gift from God. It makes me very glad. Oh, I'm so glad to have you here. And honestly, the reading your book, like I said, it was just a breath of fresh air. And I loved it so much that I put it on my annual holiday gift guide. And so, um, I was hoping at that time that I would be able to get you on the podcast and you're so gracious to spend time with us here today. And I just wanted uh, my listeners who I know we've got some wine drinkers out there, um, people who enjoy wine, but just to get this sense of the way that you approach it 
and weave it together into our spirituality. But let's start um, by hearing more about you growing up in a family of winemakers and, and you're from Germany. Just tell us more about that life growing up like that. Yeah, I would, I'd love to share that. Um, it's, um, it had a profound impact on my life as a Christian and as a theologian. Um, I think what was so beautiful about my upbringing is that I grew up on a family-run winery, a small winery um, run by the family. Of course, we had others helping, but um, we did everything from planting vineyards, tending to the vines, harvesting the grapes, crushing them, making the wine, and then also um, selling the wine. We have lots of people that come onto the winery and spend time in our tasting room, sampling the wine, checking in on the family and um, the harvest. And But I also grew up in the Lutheran church. My family has been rooted in the wine tradition and in the Lutheran tradition for a very long time. So I think having those two elements um, together in my upbringing and um, also in the culture that I grew up in, I, I gave me sort of a vision for um, wine and the gifts of the earth that I think is much needed today. Um, there are people that, you know, are very comfortable in the wine world, and then there are people that are very comfortable in the church and theology world, but the, the two have been, the two areas have been severed for a long time and there are um, reasons for that that I can't go into but I think um, it left a deep impression on me growing up in a winery and especially um, with the tasting room people would come um, as individuals but in the evening we often had wine tasting so people would come as um, groups and Germans tend to be on the reserved side they're quite serious and reserved and um, that's how they would arrive, uh, quiet, reserved, and curious, but uh, not very talkative. And also, you know, we like to sort of present ourselves as having it together and um, being successful and being able to manage everything. And so they would come and um, I would observe a transformation with every wine that they sipped and listening to my father talk about the wines they would relax a little bit more and suddenly smiles would come, they would become more talkative and confessions would come more easily, confessions of joy and delight, but then also confessions of sorrow and the hardness of life and perhaps failure. I remember one person in particular, a very successful businessman, um, you know, we are very impressed by him and then after about an hour or so we learned that his son was sort of a prodigal who had left him in the family and had gone astray and never come back. And um, the sorrow that he experienced with that. And um, what I realized is that as people opened up, as they sampled wine and they began to relax, confessions came more easily. And that was a beautiful thing. And it really helped shape the group into a convivial a fellowship really and um, that was beautiful to watch but also sort of watching my family work the land plant vines take care of the land and be committed to um, a sustainable agriculture all of those things were really really important but then they really got connected to our faith um, my, my family has been making wine for the Eucharist ever since I remember and so we always knew that there was something sacred about what we did. It wasn't just sort of a secular thing. We were crafting wine, but we crafted something that was then used in this very sacred sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And then also my mom, um, for harvest Thanksgiving service, um, went out into the vineyard and um, picked the most beautiful branches with thick clusters of grapes on them to decorate the altar. One of my favorite things about the book is the way that you connect the relationship um, with us, both to God and to the earth. Because oh, here I'm always talking about our bodies and health in relation to creation, you know, sunlight, water, plants, animals, 
grounding circadian rhythms. Um, I just, I love putting that together and reminding people that, um, that we come from the earth, uh, that the creator of our bodies made the perfect food for our bodies. And you say in the book that a well-crafted wine has a way of wedding us to the earth that is rather unique. And I love that. And I love the way that you expound on that in the book. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, I think, um, especially in our time, so many of us feel disconnected from the earth. You know, the way we live, we don't, most of us don't work the land or grow things. And uh, most of the time we either spend in our house or um, in the car or in our office. And unless we go out for a walk, we are not really connected to place. And we yearn for that. And I think wine, like no other food in the world, has this ability to connect us to particular places because wine can, if it's done well, reflect a place. In the wine world, they call that terroir. And um, that really means that a wine reflects a particular parcel of land, a particular climate and um, vintage, a certain year. And they can do that really beautifully. And um, I have experienced that myself, and it's wonderful to draw people into that um, when you sample a certain wine from Franconia, from a certain vineyard, or from Burgundy, or from Oregon. It really connects you to a very particular place, to the soil, to the climate. And though every vintage um, changes, every year changes, depending on the particular climate, of that year, there is still sort of a resonance of that particular parcel of land in the wine. So the wine really tells the story of a place and the climate of a place, and also, of course, how the vintner then works with that place. And I think that's something very, very beautiful that we can receive from wine, and it's something that we all yearn for. We want to be connected to a place. And that can happen in a variety of ways, but growing food is one very beautiful way to connect us to place. And there is no other food in the world that can reflect a place like wine. Take, for example, beer or even whiskey. It doesn't really matter where you grow the grain. It's what you do with the grain that then um, really impacts the flavor profile of a beer or whiskey. But that's not true with wine, with the well-crafted wine, you really try to allow the particulars of the place and the vines and the climate um, be then mirrored in the wine itself. Even, you know, the, the very particular vintage, you know, if it was a very cool summer, that will be reflected in the wine. And so I think a wine sings the song of a place, of a particular vineyard. And by savoring the wine, we are invited to listen in and therefore be more closely connected to that particular place. And that is, I think, something really, really beautiful that wine can give to us. Absolutely. Um, just this, you know, you talking about and you do talk about this in your book as well, people being um, disconnected, you know, from the land, especially people that might live in the city and not have a lot of connection on a day-to-day -day basis with the land. And it, it reminds me just of kind of my story that, you know, I grew up in Houston, which is one of the largest cities in the world, certainly in the United States. Um, and I moved out to West Texas, this, you know, picked up from the city, left my job and moved out here, um, to the ranch to be with my husband and he is a grass-fed um, cattle rancher and you know um, for me it was quite a culture and reality shock you know when I moved here but it was the very first seeds that God planted in me that led me to do what I do now and it was the first time I really kind of quote unquote met the earth, you know, watching my husband mm -hmm. in this ongoing relationship that he has with the land yeah. and the animals. It's just been one of the greatest gifts and teachers for me and to witness his awe 
Um, I've never seen somebody just stand out in the pasture and look at cattle with just kind of this adoration and respect. And it's mm-hmm. just, you know, it took yeah. me a while to kind of yeah. um, understand that, but it's, uh-huh. um, you know, it's, it's this appreciation of the simple yet profound elements, you know, that, you know, he appreciates these different types of grasses and has to take into account the phases of the moon and, and, um, you know, how much water we have and all of these beautiful things that have been grounding influences in, in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, but, you know, I think that, you know, in going back to you as somebody growing up in, in this family of winemakers and being so connected to the land in both cases for you. And and then me being out at the ranch, I think a lot of people want to Mm -hmm. romanticize that. Like, um, but then they also don't see the, the other side of that, you know, for my husband, it's just things like being at the mercy of the weather or, Mm -hmm. you know, enduring the stress of months and months of drought, you know, pulling a calf from a mama cow in the middle of the night, you know, only for that baby calf to die, you know, all of these, um, kind of uh, the uglier side of it. And you include some of these, you know, the less glamorous part yes. of life growing up there, uh, growing up as you did. And will you just share some of that? Cause I just, I, I think it's a, a nice balance to share with people. Yeah. I think, I think it's really, really important that, um, people know what it means and what it costs to work the land and to have something like a winery or you know a farm when i tell people that i grew up on a winery they very quickly have these romanticized visions of being on sitting on a winery on an estate sipping a glass of wine watching the sun go down and yes we do that too but it's actually really really stressful and all consuming and you know i was one of four girls growing up on a winery and we were heavily involved and always had to help one of my least favorite chores was having to crawl into the wine vats and scrub them clean from the inside. And dad would give me a brush and a hose and crawl into the small hole, the opening to the wine vat. And then um, I had to scrub it clean while the hose was going. And I would say to my dad, dad, it is so cold and dark and smelly in here. I want to get out. And my dad just said, scrub harder. I will, you will be fine. And so that was um, um, a huge part of growing up. It was we worked really, really hard. And like you said, we are very dependent upon the weather and the climate. And we do experience drought in the summer and then hail in the fall. It It could destroy a whole harvest. And we've had that. And so you feel a lot more vulnerable and also a lot more dependent upon God. And I think it's a very honest way to live. You know, we easily, especially in the Western world, we can sort of seal ourselves off from the world of suffering and pain quite a lot um, and not really come to terms with how vulnerable and how painful and challenging life is when you do work the land and you actually have to make your living that way, you realize how vulnerable life is. And I think with it grows a humility. Um, You know, the word humility really comes from hummus, from the earth. When you work with the earth, you learn uh, humility because you, um, you are so dependent upon the earth and upon the climate and ultimately on God and you have to trust God. And I think that's really, really beautiful. And a lot of the life lessons that I've learned um, come from growing up in a winery. I don't really struggle with um, suffering when it comes my way. It's painful and I have to live through it, but I don't wrestle so much with God that it's there. It's very much, yeah, it is here. Human suffering is part of our journey. And um, I don't, you know, I try to accept it and then grow through it and trust that God is with me in it. And I think if you've been sort of sealed off in a, in a world that, 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 that was more comfortable and where you weren't exposed to suffering that way, you have to learn as a, a young adult or whenever then the suffering comes that this is part of life and we will not be able to get away from it. Every human being will suffer. And the good news is that God is with us in it. And he draws us 
to himself in the midst of it. And so I think growing vines and crafting wine and all that it means is a beautiful way to draw closer to God in the ups and downs, in the joy that you experience with a good vintage and bringing a really lovely wine to your customers is deepened by that sense of struggle and vulnerability that you feel in making it. Mm-hmm. And that, that overcoming. Um, I love how you say wine is an astonishing gift to humanity and can help uncork or more full-bodied Christian spirituality. I love that. And you talk a lot about that throughout the book, how drinking wine can deepen um, our relationship with God. Can you speak more to that and, and, and just give us, um, give us some of those beautiful pearls that you weave throughout the book? Yeah, I think um, obviously there are a lot of um, facets to this one of them we've already talked about that wine connects our relationship with god our spirituality to the earth you know it's sort of an illusion that we can just connect with god just with our minds we connect with god with um, each other and ourselves through our bodies and what we experience with our senses so it really opens up um, our spirituality to embrace our body um, to embrace all of our senses, especially smelling and tasting as ways to deepen our relationship with God. We are so accustomed in our Western tradition, and especially us from Protestant traditions, to sort of think about God. We, um, we are accustomed to hearing sermons, to read books. And so those sort of senses of hearing and seeing um, are the senses that we usually draw on to cultivate our spirituality but to um, draw on our senses of touch and taste and smell to deepen our relationship with God. For a lot of us, this is very new and we have to sort of reimagine the way we approach things. So um, to take a glass of wine and to um, smell it and to taste it and to, um, to, to move to a place of awe and wonder about how God has made this world, all the beautiful things that are in this world, and that he wants us to enjoy it. In uh, Psalm 104, the psalmist says, God gave wine to make glad the hearts of humanity. That God wants us to be glad, that he gives us gifts so that gladness and joy can be stirred within us and deepen that sense of joy um, for being alive, for being God's children, and that God has placed us in this beautiful earth to enjoy it and to share it with the world. I think that's really, really beautiful. But as I said, it's sometimes really hard for us to do so. I mean, I am the first one to confess that I eat too quickly. I drink too quickly. I don't take the time to stop and savor things, to really enjoy and take in deeply all that I smell and taste in a good wine or in good food. So I think um, understanding the gifts of the earth and wine from God um, helps us to slow down and to receive them as gifts. Simone Weil, a French mystic, once said that attention in its highest form is prayer. So to slow down and to be really attentive to what is before us, like a well-crafted glass of wine, and to savor it, to become aware how precious it is, is a form of prayer. It is a form of connecting to God in gratitude and joy. And then also to connect with each other that way. I mean, we don't usually drink wine on our own. We share it. We have a glass together. So we share the enjoyment of that glass of wine and it deepens our relationship with each other even as we connect more deeply with God in the earth mm, yes I love that the the way that you describe it kind of reminds me uh, I mean kind of using it in a in a meditative way and and you've said just to you know it if to slow down that wine can help you slow down and open those senses. I'd never really thought about it that way is being able to engage these other senses, these God-given senses that we have um, to pay more attention to, to him, 
to his gifts to our bodies. And I think that's a beautiful way to consider it. And towards the end of the book, you you guide the reader essentially through like a spiritual wine tasting and, and teach how to draw closer to God by appreciating and enjoying a glass of wine. Um, if there were a few, I mean, it's quite a few things that you go through and, and I love all of them, but if you could just, could you give the reader a sense of that, like a few takeaways of if somebody wanted to sit with a glass of wine and, um, and make this a more meditative spiritual practice, what are some of the things they could think or do? I think I would begin with the sense of hearing, which is surprising. People don't associate hearing with tasting wine. But in, in the culture that I come from, rituals are very important. So the first ritual that you do is that you toast to one another. And so you clink your wine glasses. And um, I call it the clinking of glasses is the sound of togetherness. Um, wine, drinking wine brings us together. We do that together. It's, um, we're often so torn um, in our lives and rush off and we need to, these rituals that bring us back together, to sit together, to be in conversation, to, to share life in meaningful ways. So the clinking of wine glasses is usually how I start. It's the sound of togetherness. It's, a, it's, it's, it's calling us to come together and to be together and to enjoy things together. Um, so that's uh, how I would um, sort of introduce a, a soulful way of drinking wine together. And then it is about really embracing the senses that we don't usually emphasize, like um, smell, our capacity for smell. We have thousands of um, olfactory receptor cells. Usually, you know, they say an average of about a thousand olfactory receptor cells that are located in our nose, in the back of our throat, and they give us an incredible capacity for smell. But because we have not been trained to, to pay attention to them, and because a lot of smells are quite delicate, all the bounty of smells and fragrances and even stenches pass us by. And that's sad because it's a really important part of our daily reality. And so to sort of reclaim that um, capacity for smelling is really important. And the same with um, tasting. We can have thousands of taste buds on our tongue. And then each taste back has, um, um, has sensory um sensors that report to the brain and so it's this incredibly complex reality of um, taste that we have and yet we live in a time where our foods are either so salty or so sugary that they completely overpower all the other beautiful tastes that we can find in the world the more subtle tastes of herbs and spices or the tastes in a wine that um, um, remind you of certain fruit flavors or um, floral um, dimensions. There's such a bounty of taste and smell in our world and we need to recover that. And I think wine is a really great way to do that because it comes to us in very concentrated form, a well-crafted wine like a Riesling, for example. A lot of people aren't so keen on the Rieslings, but some of the most beautiful wines that are made are Rieslings in their the, the, the fruit uh, flavors that you can find or even the floral um, fragrances found in a, in a Riesling are so beautiful and delicate. I sometimes feel like I'm stepping into an orchard and um, I am sensing such an abundance of um, smell and taste that um, I am transported into a whole different world through it and yet um, so often these smells and uh, tastes go unnoticed and we can't really take them in because we have not been trained to do so. So wine tastings can be a beautiful way to um, recover those and to rediscover them. And then as we learn that in a wine tasting, 
we can then go out into the world. And even as we go on a walk or we step into our car, we can become more aware of all the smells that are out there in the world and take them in and then have a deeper sense of how rich life can be and how simple it is and that there is so much bounty out there that we can just enjoy. We don't have to pay for it. It's right there. I have a little forest in my backyard and to go out and take in the smell of um, as the leaves are decaying into the, the forest floor, there's such a richness and depth to that smell. And yet so often I don't pay attention to it. So in a wine tasting, in a soulful wine tasting, we are trying to recover all of that. I love a soulful wine tasting. I love that. And I love how in the book, you know, you're really trying to help people experience the wine kind of in their own way, in their own terms and, and getting away from a lot of the, the jargon and the, um, the information. Do you know what I mean? So it's, mm-hmm. so you kind of, where you lose people and all of the, the information of it instead of the experience of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. When I do a wine tastings, I have, I introduce uh, uh, some concepts and one of them is the priesthood of all drinkers. And what I mean by that is that just like in, in sort of the church, there's this hierarchy or, you know, you have a pastor, then you have the associate pastor, and maybe then you have a home group leader or you have a counselor. And there seems to be this structure that we like to establish. And there isn't really this direct access to God, which, of course, in the Reformation, they said there is. We don't necessarily need a priest to access God directly. And so the same is true in the wine world. You have, you know, the, the wine experts, the sommeliers, and then you have the people who, um, you know, uh, run a wine shop. And then you have people who um, write about wine. And so there seem to be these experts in this hierarchy. And you have to sort of go through those various levels of learning and understanding to really appreciate wine and obviously we can learn a lot from the wine experts but that in the last 50 years a way of talking and speaking and writing about wine has developed that is i think that the way language is used is sometimes helpful and sometimes it's not helpful it sort of closes you and seals you off into this world of expertise language that feels very intimidating and elitist and um, you feel you can't explore the wine on your own terms. That unless you have that kind of vocabulary or knowledge about wine, you can't really enjoy wine. And I think I want to free people up to trust their own senses and to um, be able to um, respond to the wine in, in your, on your own terms. But I also think that way of sort of explaining the, pra- the flavor profile of a wine is a very rational way of approaching wine. That part of our brain that processes smell and taste also processes emotions and memories. And that's really, really important. When we savor a wine, it doesn't just register certain, you know, certain flavor profile that we can identify but it also stirs emotions in us and recalls memories. And that's really, really important. Um, Savoring wine together will move you or can move you. It can help you remember things or it can help you feel certain emotions. And all of that is really important for rich conversations or for the creative process. And so savoring wine does all sorts of things that the wine experts aren't actually really aware of. They just want you to help you identify a certain flavor profile. And that's great. It can help you deepen your enjoyment of wine, but it can also close the door to you being open and receptive to see what the wine does to you on a lot of different levels, not just on the rational level of identifying certain fruit flavors or, um, you know, uh, characteristics that the wine has, whether 
herbs that you can identify or the tannins in the wine and the acidity and the interplay between the sweetness and the acidity. Those are all beautiful things. But um, what about the memories that it brings up and the emotions that it, it evokes in us and sort of that response that our soul wants to have to praise God or to be moved to think and remember your grandmother in her kitchen and what she used to cook for you and the gratitude that you might feel that you had her in your life. And um, so I think there are so many levels that savoring wine can speak to. And so um, we don't want to shortcut that experience, but we want to enlarge our experience of savoring wine and all that it can do to our conversations into uh, remembering things and also to be creative you know martin luther it is said when he wrote the hymn a mighty fortress is our god um was um sipping a glass of wine from the rheingau and it inspired him to write this hymn in poetry and i think that's really really important that wine can help us in our creativity and when you look at the history of writing and how people have reflected on wine um, and you go back um, you know 2000 years of wine writing and more you will find that creativity and that wine helps with creativity is really really important and i want us to recover that aspect of savoring wine I love that. It, it you know it makes me think of in this in the health world. I often use the term bio individuality, meaning that um, from a health standpoint, you know different foods, um, different protocols, different supplements. All these things are going to affect people differently. You, you know, and, and there's no one right way to one perfect diet for everybody or one perfect. Um, maybe supplementary protocol because it's, you know, all bio-individual. And it reminds me of that in the way that if you're, if you're drinking a glass of wine, um, in those, any of the, the tastes, the smells can conjure up something different for each person. And if you, what I'm kind of hearing you say is, you know, if, if you're in a, maybe a traditional wine tasting setting where somebody is giving you a lot of information, which can be helpful and interesting, but it, it can kind of overpower perhaps mm -hmm. the, the opportunity to just sit with it and let it speak to you for yourself before you get the deluge of information. Uh -huh. So yeah, I love that. I love thinking about it that way. Um, or just, you know, offering that to people to, to consider when they are um, enjoying a glass of wine. I know that you do, um, you do wine, you lead people on wine tastings, correct? I know you've done some Zoom calls here in this, in these times that we're in, but you also um, take people over um, internationally on trips, isn't that correct? Yeah, so I have been doing a lot of events where I talk about the spirituality of wine, and then I lead people into wine tasting as a spiritual practice, because I think we have narrowed the way we experience wine in our culture. I think it's a it's there's richness, but there's also narrowness. And I want I want people to reclaim the spiritual and cultural dimension of experiencing wine. So that's been really really fun. Um, but because of where we come from, I think it it really takes practice to embrace this way of savoring wine in the world, really. And so I also take people on wine pilgrimages. And I um, take them to France and Germany because that's really where the spirituality of wine emerged. It was the nuns and monks that came to evangelize Europe and um, they um, needed wine for the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. And so they planted vineyards and um, for them um, growing um, vineyards and crafting wine was primarily, primarily to give glory to God. And so using wine in the Lord's Supper was, this is, you, you want to use the best possible wine so that people could have this beautiful experience of the beauty of the wine, helping you to understand what um, God's salvation in Christ is all about. And so um, I take them to really trace that sort of history, to look at the Benedictines in Burgundy and then the Reform Movement 
um, the Cistercians and um, the vineyards that they first developed and planted are still there. And there's still winemakers who understand that tradition. And some of the most beautiful wines of the world actually come from Burgundy, where all of this sort of started. And it is a wonderful um, experience to take people to those vineyards, for them to stand on that soil, for them to experience that vision. And then we share, um, you know, wine tasting meals together where we can practice this together as, um, as a group. And, um, and it, it really takes time to ingest this way of approaching not only wine, but food and all the gifts of the earth. And so that's been um, a really, really wonderful and special sort of experience to be able to take people on these wine pilgrimages. And I've just moved the one that was planned in June next year to hopefully the end of August, because um, by then we should be able to travel again and uh, take groups on these wine pilgrimages. I want to go on a wine pilgrimage. (laughs) (laughs) I think we should take a Christian Health Club group and we should plan one. We'll have to to talk about that. That would be awesome. One of the the things that I am missing so much right now, um, just speaking of the Eucharist and celebrating the Eucharist, is... um, you know, in these weird times we're in. Um, I mean, luckily my church is open and has been open, but um, we are only um, taking the bread and not the wine right now. So we're not, mm-hmm. you know, sharing the chalice and such. And I miss that. And I feel that um, it's just it's just that piece that is missing. It's leaving me dry. It's not quenching my thirst for the full Eucharistic experience. But it reminds me of a story in your book where um, you were saying that, I guess it's the the church that you, when you moved to the United States or when the churches that you attended that your um, pastor or your priest was, um, these are not your words, they're mine, but maybe a little stingy with the chalice and would not give you that, that full um, kind of sip, yeah. that full experience that you wanted. Yeah. And I just thought that was, that was so funny. And you, and you, you and some people kind of rallied and you're like, Hey, we need a little more of that. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But I, I, I think the, the, the pastor thought if we just had a little, you know, sip that did it, all you needed was this tiny little bit to really, you know, to, to, for, for, for the Lord's Supper to sort of have effect. But he really didn't take into account that we actually need to sense it fully with our mouths and noses and um, that, that, that our body is part of that. It's not just symbolic. It's our whole body senses salvation the way you come to understand things. We often historically thought that, you know, our mind somehow works independent of our senses and it doesn't, it's all very deeply interconnected. So um, the impression, if we really smell and taste the wine and swallow it and feel how it, you know, glides down our throat and warms our throat and our body, it's it's this powerful sensation of Christ's sacrificial death for us. And um, yeah, so we, we, you know, we really did not agree with our pastor that we should have a little (laughs) sip. And then we approached him and explained that to him. And he also really held tightly to the chalice because he wanted to control how much we drank. And I, it just sort of, I, I, I got the sense of scarcity that God's grace is scarce, you know, rather than the sense of abundance, take and eat and drink in abundance. And you think about when Jesus celebrated the Passover meal turned Lord's Supper. At that time, they had a whole meal and they had four cups of wine that they enjoyed over an evening to live in, to remember that reality of the Passover meal that's now reinterpreted in light of Christ's coming, suffering and death and resurrection. And so I think we need to reclaim that, this full-bodied experience and narrative that we experience in the liturgy and um, in the Lord's Supper, that we are living into our narrative. It's not just a recalling of an idea or a short memory, but it's a reliving and living into that narrative and using all of our senses to experience that. What is our salvation? And so wine plays an important role in that. And I think a lot of us, when we go up to drink from the chalice, we don't even think about smelling and tasting the wine. We somehow just think about thinking things. But no, we need to 
reclaim our senses so that we live into that reality more fully and that the impressions stay with us and um, you know that we ingest them in a very profound way yes I, I'm going to appreciate that so much more when we are able to do it again and now I will, uh, will appreciate it in a whole new way as well because I will be thinking about this conversation and so I'm really looking forward to when mm-hmm. that comes back into our, our service. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit um, because you you go into this in the book, and I think this affects, well, it affects me kind of the way I alluded to it in the in the introduction, this kind of struggle that I think a lot of us have with... Um, with wine, with drinking, with drinking it for the wrong reasons, the right reasons. Um, In the book, you said, in Christian circles, we have often reduced the subject of wine to questions of good and bad. For many of us, relationship with wine and food is wrought with tension, especially for women, food and drink have become battlegrounds. Mm -hmm. And this is something that, you know, I work a lot with the people um, that I work with and I, I talk to a lot and really just trying to help people come to this place of, of food peace. But I think, um, I think it's something that would be helpful for you to talk about in the way that you share your perspective on it. Yeah, I think that's a very, very important subject. Our relationship with our bodies, how we feel at home in our bodies, um, how we identify hunger, uh, spiritual, emotional, and physical hunger. And then how we draw on the physical world to quench our hungers. I think that's something that's very, very difficult for a lot of us. And I think it's not just because of our individual struggles. I think we we live in a culture where there are not a lot of soulful places where we can quench our spiritual and emotional hunger and thirst the way we should. There are places, but I don't think there are enough places, especially when we are hurting, when we are going through difficult times. There are not a a lot of rituals that really help us to move through those seasons of grief or to even be in touch with our more difficult emotions and process them well. And then there is this invitation out in our culture to, you know, eat, drink, shop, you know, to, to, to use physical and sensual things to meet hungers and thirst that can't be met by food and wine or shopping. And I think it's really, really important that we come to understand um, the various hungers and thirst that we have and to um, listen to our bodies, you know, when we want to drink a glass of wine because we're stressed to ask, well, what is it? You know, am I, am I really stressed right now? Do I need to talk to someone? Do I need to hold myself? Do I need to have a spiritual practice where I feel myself held by God rather than trying to numb the pain that we feel or the stress that we experience? And I think that's really, really important. And that's where soul care comes into the whole thing about the soul of wine, that um, we have to, we're invited to become whole and to understand that we are living souls and that wine was given to bring joy and deepen a sense of joy and that wine is not the place that we should go to when we are stressed or when we are hurting. And so that's really, really important for us to learn, not just as individuals, but as families and communities and cultures. Now, I come from a culture where we've thought about that for the last, you know, 1,400 years. So there are, there's a deep sense of knowing what wine is for and what it isn't. But in North America, for example, that wine is becoming a cultural good again is very recent. And so we are now having to also learn how to integrate it into our lives in a appropriate and healing and soulful way. And so um, for my family and my culture, we don't drink before 5 p.m. usually, except on a Sunday. On a Sunday after the church service, we have a lovely lunch and we have some wine and then we have a long nap. 
but usually we don't drink before five and then we don't drink a lot of it. You know, I usually drink one or two glasses and not every day, but I don't usually drink wine on my own. And I usually only drink wine with my meal where I sit down and where I can actually pay attention to what I eat and drink. And it's part of this beautiful experience of enjoying and savoring wine um, with my family or with friends. And so this is a really, really important journey. And this is also why I wrote The Soul of Wine. I want people to learn how to enjoy wine in a soulful way, but then also to realize when we shouldn't drink wine. I struggled with eating disorders when I was a teenager, and so I know what the battle is like when you feel you need food to comfort the, the, the deeper parts of you that are hurting, and so to unlearn that and to find really good ways of allowing the soul to heal and then also learn how to bring wine and food in so that you can really enjoy it. That is a real important um, sort of wisdom that we need to reclaim for our lives. And I often feel like our culture doesn't help that. And we have to be very proactive as Christians and Christian communities to learn that and to regain that wisdom. I love that. I um, yeah. I want to recap those because um, those stood out to me. Kind of your, you said your family's kind of rules and rhythms that you have for drinking wine, and so those were um, number one. You don't usually drink wine before five p.m. except on Sundays. Um, you only have a couple of glasses with your meal shared around a dinner table, and you don't drink every day to make sure that you don't become dependent on mm-hmm. it. I think those are some really um, easy, nice boundaries to uh-huh. to have. And I think I'm going to use those instead of my wow goal <laughs> moving yeah. forward. Um, yeah. There's a just a, there's a little bit more grace in that, you know, yeah. um, for me. And that's important. I mean, I think, you know, we can, for the most part, I'm somebody that's very pretty easy and breezy with, with um, eating and food. I think that's why... Um, a lot of people like my approach is because it's not extreme, you know, and I'm not into extremes or deprivation. And I am into enjoying these, these pleasures, you know, and having this healthy relationship with food. Mm -hmm. But, you know, wine is one that's been a little stickler for me because, um, you know, I think sometimes I, I do approach it for that wonderful reason of wanting to have it to, you know, complement a really delicious meal. Like, oh, this would go so good with this meal and we're sitting at the table and, you know, that. But then sometimes it's like I will, you know, want to go to it just in a stressful situation and use it as a buffer um, yeah. between a lot of it's times it's doing homework with my children. Um, but yeah. and that's not the right time. Uh-huh. <laughs> that nope. Not, nope. That's not the right time. And you do have a whole... Uh, it's kind of section in your book where you talk about, you know, the, the times that are the, the not the right reasons and the times not to use it. And so um, I think that's a, it's a very healthy thing to talk about and, and something important for it to talk about. But but the but for me, this reading the the whole of your book together was a breath of fresh air and um, and just gave me it was really just kind of refreshing and a, gave me that sense of peace about it. And it brought mm-hmm. me back down to that place where I feel like I normally am like a little bit more easy breezy about things. And I was just getting too whipped up in my head about it. And it was, yeah. so that was really what spoke to me about your book. And I enjoyed it so much, so many pieces of it. Um, before one other thing I wanted to talk about before we go is just kind of this idea of Christian hospitality and opening your home to, um, people, because one thing you said it, you know, you say in your book is just kind of getting past that, um, what you said is different from maybe the way that you grew up and then moving to the United States and this kind of Martha Stewart culture, everything's got to be perfect and how people are, you know, are so focused on that, that we're less prone just to be like, Hey, come over, let's get yeah. together. And yeah. <laughs> I think it's a lot of, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and to the detriment of being hospitable. Yeah, and also being real and being who we are, where we are at, a work in progress. And I think this is the life of grace, 
that it's okay where we are. It's okay that we struggle. It's okay that we're not perfect, that our home is not perfect, and our hospitality is not perfect. And that gives our guests the freedom to arrive the way they are. And so the focus then is not so much on you trying to perform um, and show how you know wonderful everything is, but then the focus is on God and that he accepts and loves us unconditionally in that we are allowed to be on a journey in that we are allowed to grow together and I think that's what's so wonderful and I think we need to reclaim that and to see hospitality is primarily about being um, being with God and um, together drawing closer to God who um, allows us to be imperfect and to allows us to be at various stages in our lives. And the important thing is that we're on the journey together, that we are growing towards God, that we are moving closer, that we are maturing together, that we are healing together. And I think that's so often missing. There is this sense, you know, I talked about that earlier, especially in Germany, in, perfectionism is something that we are really drawn to. We want things perfect. We want things to go the right way. But the reality is human beings, we make mistakes. Things don't go perfect all the time. And there's actually beauty in it that we can rest in the arms of a loving and forgiving God. And that ultimately we return to God who, who upholds us and not how perfectly we've made it through the day or how perfectly we have entertained and how perfectly our home or our food is, but um, that we are willing to be open to God and to each other and to journey together. I think that's what's so important. And a glass of wine can help us to be joyful, even though some or a lot of our things are not where we want them to be. And that's okay. And um, I think we, we need to be liberated to that. And we need to, I think, in, in our time when sometimes I feel like our culture and our society has lost the plot, we need to be able to open our doors wide and to in, invite the world in because we are part of God's story. We know how it begins and we know how it ends. And in that journey in between, we draw people in to be fellow travelers trusting in God's love and mercy that he has shown in Jesus Christ. Amen. That is, that's such a lovely um, way to look at it. Um, I know I struggle with that, um, having, trying to have everything perfect and it, it never is. Um, mm -mm. But, but the, you know, but then I know my posse, my homies, my girlfriends that, I mean, they don't care. And I, that's, yeah. and it's, you have your people um, that don't, but then also, I guess what I need to learn better is to move past the people that love me already and know me and don't care and not care about what, you know, not let that stop me from inviting people in yes. that I may not know as well, mm -hmm. um, due to that, you know, well, one day when I get this fixed or this painted or, you know, this done, I'll, I'll invite people, you know, yeah. and I think that we can just miss out on so much of our lives when we, we're waiting for that because um, those things can take a long time to get to. Maybe never. <laughs> so you might waste a lot of a lot of time in hospitality and relationship in the meantime. Um, oh, this has been a great conversation. Before you go, I have to ask you the anchor questions. Um, and the first one is, what is your anchor meal, which is your go-to meal, mm -hmm. the one you eat often, always have the ingredients. Um, I always have some frozen, uh, frozen wild salmon in my freezer, a little fillet, and um, I, 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 when I, you know, when I'm writing, for example, and I don't have a lot of time to take a break, I'll just pull one out in the morning, and then I um, put the salmon fillet in the grill, and I have it with um, some salad. And it's a lovely, healthy meal, but it's also really tasty. And if I have it in the evening, <clears throat> I might even have a, a lovely glass of uh, Chardonnay with it or um, a Pinot Blanc and, um, or even a Pinot Noir. I learned that when I was in Oregon. In Oregon, they have this lovely um, uh, 
wild sockeye or king salmon and then they enjoy that with the pinot noir and um that that was a real um moment of revelation for me they go together quite well that's something i would like to, i need to learn more about i need to branch out to my um my wine interest i'm a, a pretty much a chardonnay girl that's my favorite that's what i always yeah. want um but i uh, i would i do need to branch out a little bit my friends are like kind of make fun of me because i'm so straight chardonnay but um do you have a favorite or are those three those three that you just mentioned would those be your your favorite wines um i i also i mean i love any well-crafted wine i love i and i love exploring new grape varieties or grape varieties from a region that i have not tried i'm always that's the wonderful thing about the wine world you can learn you know a pinot noir will taste very different depending on where it's grown but uh, one of the grape varieties that i love is a silvana which is from our wine region in franconia and it's a very savory full-bodied white wine but my favorite wine is really a pinot noir that is crafted in that uh, more burgundian um, style where the fruit um, flavor is not so emphasized and you have the more um, savory notes um, coming through and uh, sometimes they call call them barnyard in the US trying to capture um, these more earthy notes of a Pinot Noir they're very subtle but they, they you feel more grounded in the earth they have this deep tonality to them the, the fruit is a little bit more fresh and it's lovely but I, I like when the other um, flavor profiles come through so I, I like that and I, it goes really really well with game and I love a, a venison or wild boar roast and um, to have a Pinot Noir with that and uh, maybe a little bit of a wild um, uh, cranberry sauce with it that's that's how i grew up uh, that that that's heaven for me <laughs> that sounds like heaven that sounds delicious oh my gosh i mm. love this the idea i mean we, we kind of alluded to it but this, the the way that you know a wine can ground you you know i think of that mm -hmm. grounding as a health practice putting your bare feet on the earth or your bare hands in the earth um but also just that idea that wine can can be grounding um for you maybe we should we should all go stand outside put our feet in with our bare feet in the ground while we drink a glass of wine absolutely like double, double i think grounding. that's yeah that's a great idea <laughs> i love it <laughs> okay and what um what is your anchor verse what is the maybe your go-to verse or a, a bible verse that just really resonates with you well i answer that um depending on where i'm at in life, I have a Bible verse that was given to me when I got confirmed in the Lutheran Church. But today, I want to say Psalm 23. Um, it's not just a verse, it's a whole psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And also, my cup overfloweth, that's part of um, that psalm as well. But it's this understanding of God's presence and care and abundance he prepares a table in the presence of my enemies my cup runneth over my wine cup that is um, so today i think that psalm is really important to me it's a it's a psalm that you know obviously i had to memorize it as a child but it's a it's a psalm that i come back to over and over in my life and for some reason today i'm like yeah that's the psalm that i live in today hmm. That's a good one. And to find, you know, to be able to find that our, our cups do overflow, even in these challenging times, um, yes. is a gift, you know, truly the gift of when we have the, I say, keeping your God goals on, G-O-D-G-G-L-E-S, keep, keep those God goals on and keep that perspective of mm -hmm. abundance and gifts and all that we do have, um, especially in the time when it feels like so much has been taken away. Um, yes. But I, I love that psalm. Mm -hmm. um, Isela, thank you so much for being with us here today. Where can people, what's the best way for people to find you or follow you, or learn more about 
um, your soulful wine tastings and all of that good information. Yeah, you can either go on my website, you know, thespiritualityofwine.com or Gisela Kreklinger. You know, you, if you Google that, you will come across my website and you can get, get in touch with me this way. I'm also on Facebook and on Instagram. And so you can just send me a note and I am happy to be um, in touch and um, write back. Well, I'm so glad that you wrote back to me <laughs> to be here. <laughs> I love these conversations. You know, this is a time, this is such a difficult time, but it's also a really important time because we are reclaiming food and wine and there are so many wonderful grassroots movements happening. And I love being part of that movement. I think it's very exciting and we need more people to jump onto the bandwagon and we can do this together. Yes, we can. And I, I love being on that wagon and I know the people listening do as well. And so we're all in this together and we should all get together and have a glass of wine. Yes. Be, I think that would be lovely. <laughs> oh, thank you so much again for being here and thank you all for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week and I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.